Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Blue Butterfly Effect podcast. I am Lily Murillo, intuitive astrologer and spiritual coach. I am here with my co-host, Ashley Torrent, psycho-spiritual counselor and intuitive medium. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Blue Butterfly Effect podcast. I am Lily Murillo, spiritual coach and astrologer. I'm here with my co-host, Ashley Torrent, uh, psycho-spiritual counselor and intuitive medium. So we are here to talk today about the purpose of the ego. Um, I think that, you know, the, the first time that I realized that there was such a thing as an ego um, or or where I felt validated that there was such a thing as an ego is, was when I started studying astrology. And I started to understand, oh, there is an ego, there is a personality, there is a human personality to me, and there is a soul. And so I think that understanding the purpose of the ego and, and the evolving definition of it and the evolving appreciation for the ego is something that has become at least for me an important role in understanding my spiritual path does that make sense yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah so how do you feel about the definition of ego or what does ego mean to you how does it land for you when did it come up for you hmm and something I wanted to say, you know, as we enter this conversation, which applies to all our conversations is that, um, you know, when we talk about these things, we're talking about them from our experience and the things that we've studied. And I really encourage people to take what serves them and leave what doesn't, you know, I think both Millie and I really are always advocates of people figuring out what the, what these topics, how they resonate with them, what they mean to them. Like we don't necessarily have all the answers we have thoughts and, and examples and research or experience, but I would just want to encourage everyone to kind of ask themselves as we cover topics. And even this one, you know, what does the ego mean to me? Um, so I wanted to say that at first, but, you know, I think for a long time before I started diving into spirituality, you know, I thought the ego was like, oh, I think I'm cool. Or, you know, I want to, it was a very superficial thing. And, you know, right. I remember feeling like you never want to have a big ego, you know, mm -hmm. because if you have a big ego, then you're entitled and it's such a turnoff and all those things. But as I started studying, studying spirituality, I've really come to understand that the ego is so much more complex than I think, um, than that, like just seeking external validation idea that we've had. And, um, I remember a client asked me a couple of years ago, you know, what is the purpose of the ego? And I remember thinking, I don't know, it causes suffering, um, <laughs> and, but I really sat with it. And I remember hearing one part of the ego was that it highlights our pain points. It highlights the areas in our life that there's potential for growth or need for growth. I kind of imagine it as in like a Las Vegas neon sign going, heal this, please, <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> so as much as it rises and it can feel so uncomfortable, if we're feeling that egoic pain, it's like, oh, this is something I need to attend to. Yeah. Yeah. I really, 
appreciate you naming, right? Our, our very first interpretation of the ego, like having a big ego being arrogant, kind mm -hmm. of it, it's is what comes to mind because uh, being uh, egoist, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a word. I think so. Um, and it's just, it, it came from the space of being very self-absorbed, mm -hmm. uh, almost. And I find that interesting because it's so, it's so far from what that interpretation of it is so far from its purpose, right? To, right. to your point, it really highlights the pain points that serve, I think, as catalysts or as little uh, breadcrumbs in this journey of life that says, oh, this is what we need to tend to now. And this is what we need to tend to next and so on and so forth. And so I think that a big development of the ego is very much conditioned, at least initially, um, in the very early stages of life, conditioned by our culture, by our family, uh, you know, our environment, our education, I mean, essentially everything conditions us to create um, this definition of our ego and who we are and who we're meant to be, our personality, how we relate to others. And so there's all of these layers to this identity that are shaped and I think that a big part of even cleaning up the ego, if you will, is a part of the growth is deciding what we even want that ego to look like. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it might be interesting to, if you feel like it, to talk about for each of us, based on what you just said, what was the formation of our egos as individuals? that we're working to evolve or support, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was curious, I'll ask you, what do you notice like was created as a result of where you've come from or what you were taught? Right, right. Culturally, familially. I think, you know, a, so this is actually a, a really perfect example, right? First generation American from, you know, uh, an immigrant family, uh, first language my first language is actually spanish not english um i am bilingual um i am the oldest and that comes with a lot of that that came with a lot of expectation of of me right and so all of those things added to to the ego i was the oldest so i had to be the most the most responsible i uh, raised by a single mother so then i you know my ego fulfilled a bit of a of a partnership to to my single mother um so all of these things growing up shaped me to have to create this idea of i am a provider at a mm -hmm. very from a very young age mm -hmm. and so from that came and, and of course i am very much summarizing here right but for sake of time uh, of course, that came with a lot of hyper independence and, you know, not not asking anyone for help and, and thinking this lone wolf type of mentality, all of that 
I mean, even just a few years ago, I was enveloped in that ego, in in that description of myself. This is who Mm -hmm. I am. And so back to what I said a little earlier, I think that a part of, and this isn't even touching into soul and and, and spirit, right? And, and And that love that exists within us. This is just the ego itself. I think part of our growth is also coming to the realization, I I am not hyper-independent. I don't have to be hyper-independent. I I, I can ask for help and I can trust people and I can have friendships. And I think that in itself creates a different, has created a different definition of my ego, but I have had to look within, uh, do, you know, all of the work and, and all of the things to get to a place where I feel like I have defined my identity. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, taking that and creating the identity that comes from that. Yes. Right. Right. Mm. Right. How about for you? I, I, I was, I'm thinking, I like how you said you were taught to be a provider and I was like, Oh, I, that's a great word for what you were taught. And I was thinking, mm. Okay, so growing up in a white family, a female, and a very conservative, misogynistic culture, um, very patriarchal, um, you know, women weren't valued. So I think I learned to play small. And also my mom um, has a very strong personality, um, very narcissistic personality. I'm not using that word lightly. And I remember watching her with other women and enjoying dominating the conversation. And also she would always dress herself up. And I remember there was this one moment when I was, I think about eight or nine and we were at church and my mom always had friends that were older than her and um, significantly older than her, maybe like 25 years older than her. And I remember looking at, I wondering why. And then I looked around and I watched the way she held conversations with them and I could feel her taking pleasure in how diminished they felt in her presence. Mm. It was like this intuitive hit. And I remember thinking, I never want to make a woman feel that way. And so I think part of my ego that formed was I will play small and Mm. um, I will not take up too much space and I don't ever want to be egoic and entitled like her. I never want mm. to be like that. So I swung in the opposite direction where I think I became like, a, you know, what do you call it? A wallflower in a lot of ways. Um, and then also a lone wolf because relationships weren't safe. And so I love when you said that. I was like, I totally resonate with lone wolf. I think in this lifetime, you know, some people say their life is about maybe learning how what it's like to be alone. My life is about learning to be in relationship because man, mama can do alone real well. (laughs) Right. Right. Right? So I think, you know, what I'm recognizing the identity that's formed also, I was just, I felt so much fear my whole life, fear of connection, fear of relationships, fear of people, fear of the world. It just felt so unsafe. So I think the identity that I'm working on creating is accessing that courage that's always lived inside me, accessing that ability to be fully embodied and be myself and be in my light without having to diminish it to make other people comfortable. And that is a real practice. Um, and that's not easy. No, that's so hard. (laughs) Absolutely. And so this is where, to your point, 
I think that the ego that we are conditioned to have from, from childhood until we're like, wait a minute, until we get old enough to say, wait a minute, this isn't who I want to be. Mm-hmm. I think that I feel that that conditioned ego is, carries the, the, the pain points. Yes. And so those pain points then, you know, direct us to behave a certain way, relate in a certain way, show up to life in a certain way until we're met with enough resistance from the outer world and other people to say, okay, to, to begin asking questions, is it, is it me? Is it the circumstance? I, I, should I, you know, respond in this way or react in this way? Mm-hmm. So I feel that that conditioned ego is what creates the pain points. And then, and then when there's a, a, a moment of waking up, we get to choose, okay, what kind of person do I want to be out in this in this world and there be, again comes the, the the redefinition of that and so the the reason that that i bring that up is that in astrology the sun our sun sign represents our ego right i i'm a capricorn you're a gemini you know someone is an aries a scorpio the, the sign that everyone knows that is the ego and so in western astrology everything else in the chart is meant to support the sun's expression in this lifetime everything else in the chart is meant to support the egoic expression of who we are which i remember when i when i first read that years ago i thought i thought that we were here to you know be spiritual beings and i thought that and and of course i had a different or perhaps a thwarted um definition of spirituality mm-hmm. and so that that to me was ego is bad spiritual is good yes. at the time right and that's when i realized so if everything in the chart exists to support the highest expression of the sun and by the highest expression i mean elevated conscious right elevated consciousness then that's when I realized okay then there's a purpose to the ego Mm -hmm. and so it it becomes our yeah part of our path part of our unlearning and learning how this ego then becomes a conduit for living a spiritual life I I too felt like we were meant to eradicate the ego for a long time. It's like mm-hmm. you don't want any ego. And I think in the in the past few years and even hearing you speak about it astrologically has been so helpful to understand, oh no, we're not supposed to eradicate it. How can we how can we use it to support the soul's evolution? Um what is it showing us? What is it telling us? And it is an incredible teacher, you know, um that I really never paid respect to. And I think, you know, when we were talking, you were talking about, you know, the ego and its pain points can be a catalyst. You know, I remember, gosh, this was before I started my, my, I've been on a spiritual path for a while, but when I really started diving down was with mediumship. But right before that, I remember just kind of sitting in my office one day and just recognizing that I was a victim of my story. Like I was just like, still looking back at what had happened to me and pointing the finger 
and just feeling utterly powerless in my life. And that was so painful, but it was a really eye-opening moment to go, okay, well, so what do I want to do with it? What do I want to do with the karma? You know, and I think mm. we should probably do something on karma, <laughs> but what right. do I want to do with the karma from the relationships of my family or the experiences that I had, you know, up until that point. And that's where I feel like, you know, the soul is like, can rise in that moment and kind of guide us. And it's like, yeah, what do you want to do with this? And then if you look at your life, if you really kind of have like a bird's eye view of your life, there is information in there. Okay, this happened because, or this taught me this because this is how it serves a purpose in my life. And if we can find that purpose, like why did we go through that? Because it, it, I believe it, it happens for a reason. We had mm -hmm. our parents for a reason. We had those experiences for a reason. You know, so what is it here to show us? That's when the soul and ego, the personality self can really start to weave together um, this beautiful life and and like, I don't know, the soul can nudge the personality self along and the personality can say yes and acceptance and surrender. Um, but we really, I think that was a moment of a mindful awareness of like, what is my responsibility here? I think that's why yeah. I'm trying to <laughs> make that point. Well, I love that because what you're, what I feel you're describing in there is, is an egoic death, right? Mm. And so when we're, again, astrology, there are significant astrological transits that represent a part of our, uh, 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 an expression, a particular expression of the ego dying away in order for a new one to be born. So mm. think of the ages, the most significant ones tend to be 18, 28 to 30, 37, 42, and 56. Why? Okay. So because we have we have particular transits we have things called lunar returns we have saturn returns we have um we have pluto squares we have we have uranus oppositions so without going into too much detail of any of those these are just significant times in which we realize the responsibility that we have to kind of check ourselves so to your point the question of do i really want to continue being a victim of the story mm -hmm. right so i think just to name one uh, the saturn return everyone tends to be familiar with the saturn return and so what that means is that transiting saturn in the sky comes back to the same sign that it was in at the time that you were born okay Mm -hmm. And that tends to happen between at least the first Saturn return tends to happen between the ages of 28 and 30, 31. So that tends to coincide with things like, uh, you know, you're purchasing your very first home and all of the responsibility that that comes with. You're leaving your hometown and redefining what home means for you. you you're getting married or having your first child. You are, um, you know, coming into, coming to grips with, this is what I went to school for and don't know if this is what I want to do. That, that time, of 28 to 31. And those are just very simple, superficial examples. But my point with that is that they're, they're, they're considered milestones in our society. And so whatever those, whatever those milestones mean and represent for you, they come with an immense amount of responsibility of choice. Mm 
And then for the first time in our lives, that tends to be the introduction to real responsibility and this notion of, oh, I am fully responsible for the decisions that I make, their outcome, and what that creates. And so I like to call a Saturn return the universe, you know, deeming you 18 years old, like an actual adult. Uh, I feel that that is the adulting turning point, regardless of, you know, if these, if you hit these milestones before or after, that's not the point. There's something about that period of time where there is an egoic death of who you were up until that point that forces a new part of you into yourself. And so what people tend to experience at the time, and this isn't just a Saturn return, really ask yourself if you're experiencing an egoic death, if you are, for instance, just feeling like there is a death, like you're grieving something and you're not sure what. You know, in your external world, there's nothing really to actually grieve, but there's something that's happening. Uh, ask yourself, if, uh, something is not enough. You're aiming for more. You're working hard for more. You want more. Is it really that? Or is there a part of you that's leaving and a new one that's trying to emerge? And we just don't know how how to deal with that. Mm. Uh, so, Yeah. <laughs> Would, would you say egoic death? You know how we talk about healing is like peeling layers of an onion. Mm -hmm. Would you, do you feel like egoic death or those are the layers of the onion? Um, yes, partially, mm -hmm. but I think that again, because astrology is so timely, there are moments in our lives where the, the peeling of that onion is much more significant. Mm -hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And I notice, like, you know, when there's a, well, the ego shows me, okay, here's another layer of the onion. It's when something becomes really uncomfortable. Like lately I've been noticing boundaries. I've got to have better boundaries. And mm -hmm. I feel that from being overworked, overworking myself, overscheduled, but also I can feel the discomfort in my body when I override my boundary, you know, I can feel just my whole body kind of get a little sick, you know, and it's like where it used to be, I wouldn't even notice it, but this feels like, okay, this is my ego showing, Hey, this is something, the next thing we need to work on are your boundaries. <laughs> and right. we're going to keep getting so uncomfortable until right. you decide that you're actually going to work on your boundaries. <laughs> right. Exactly. They're no, they're and not going to go underground anymore. <laughs> right. And I love that example because I think that a lot of times, and this is where this question of, or, or, or this prompt of considering that life isn't happening to you, it's happening for you, becomes such an important reframe in deciding how we want our ego to be expressed in this lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if we should um, define soul versus ego. Ooh. Right. So to me, soul is the understanding that I am an expression of universal intelligence's spirit in a body. Mm -hmm. And that within me, at my core, I am unconditional love and unconditional light. And I am actually limitless. Mm -hmm. Now, the reminder of that 
comes with practice mm-hmm. because my ego, my human is part of this human world that is, again, because of the conditioning that we've talked about and, and, and because of the world that we live in is constantly conditioned to believe you are not limitless. You're actually quite limited right? Your opportunities are limited. Um, you, you, you are not always light and love because you get pissed off at certain things or, you know, you don't want to talk to certain people. So there is this understanding of my soul in that it is unconditionally loving, unconditionally compassion, compassionate, and unconditionally understand, understanding. And my ego and my humanness I've come to feel that it exists in order for me to practice returning to this love, mm-hmm. to the soul time and time again. Mm-hmm. So there's no eradication of either. There is just an understanding of how one is needed to understand the other. Right. No, I love your definitions. And I, and I think the thing that really harms us is that we come into this world And, you know, especially in a conservative um, religious culture, we are told from the minute we come in, you are inherently bad. You are a sinner. Mm -hmm. You know, even if like maybe you're not Christian, but you come from different religions, there is this understanding that there is something wrong with you and you are supposed to work to become love. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, now I have chills because I'm like, that is so misunderstood. We are not inherently bad. We are love in our essence. Yeah. And this this brainwashing that happens to make us believe that we are bad, that children are bad, um, it's so destructive. And I think it creates so much harm. I keep wondering what would life be like if we believed that we were good from mm-hmm. the moment that we were born, like you are good. And that mm-hmm. whatever spiritual practices are, let's nurture that love inside you and don't let the world take it. And so this idea of this inherent badness it creates the separation from our soul. And I feel like if we could understand that, like what you said is the personality is created to support the soul's evolution. The ego is not bad. The personality is not bad because I think a personality is ego and that Mm -hmm. they are meant to work together. What would it be like if we remembered that love? Because the soul, the soul only makes loving choices. The soul lives through the lens of love. It is love. It does not tolerate. And I think this is where, I don't think, I mean, it's been talked about. This is where like our suffering comes from when the soul in the human body and the ego is choosing things that are harmful, like toxic relationships or addiction um, or a way of life that's too loud and destructive. The soul becomes like hurt and sick. Right. And I think that's when we become depressed and anxious. And if we would look at like, that's not a mental it's not a mental illness as much as it's probably a soul illness. Absolutely. Oh, I love that because I think that when there are those times where we, again, astrologically, where there is this experience of, I know that I'm not that, but I don't yet know who I am. Yes. There is this sense of lost in transition. Mm. Um, and that lost in transition, I feel that the reason it can feel so scary and heavy and I don't want to be here I mean various components one I I feel that we're not taught to have patience with our process uh with any process um and as time moves on 
we are less and less patient with everything around us and including ourselves. Um, Two, I think that there, again, we're not taught a connection to spirit. So there isn't this sense of this is happening for a reason or this is happening for me. And how could there be, right? How could there be uh, that understanding when it was never taught to begin with? There's just this, we live in a world that is very black and white and it's very, you should know. You should know what to do. You should have it figured out. (laughs) When we we are told such misinformation at a young age. Right. And it's like, well, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. No one knows what the fuck to do. So everyone is full of shit. (laughs) You know, what's fascinating is watching my kids. um, I call them like, I call them um, like egoic deaths or um, evolutions or lessons, maybe like cycle of lessons and learned or things that we're meant to learn in this life. I call them quests for my kids because I feel like quests, like Mm -hmm. they're tangible or whatever, but I notice even as my son was turning 10 or 11, my oldest, who's now 14, there are things that kept happening in his life, experiences he kept happening. And I have told him, this is part of your quest. You know, this this is part of your quest. He's very sensitive and he's empathic and he can feel when people are full of shit and he can't tolerate it. And it's caused a lot of disruption in different like social circles and places because you know, most people are like, oh, it's fine. They're doing the best they can. And my son's like, this is not okay. This is not okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at first it was hard for us because we were like, why is there always like a nemesis? <laughs> why is there always, he's like mm. Cam from Modern Family always has a ne- nemesis. <laughs> but what we're actually <laughs> noticing now as I like sink in and I become more curious that he spots someone who's out of alignment and it's uncomfortable in his body. And so how do I help him trust himself and be in a situation? Cause there's going to be people out of alignment, but part of his quest is to learn how to navigate that, right. you know, but what if we had been taught that as kids, what if we had, our parents had said, you know, I noticed you really struggle in this area and it doesn't make <laughs> sense to you. This is your quest. <laughs> I don't mean I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm learning as I go along, but half the time I'm like, what the fuck? Why wasn't anybody like highlighting these things? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's such the human experience can be such an external experience and 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 that can be miserable. Yeah create, I I like to call it, right, creating the bridge, the creating the bridge between the human and the soul, Mm. I think becomes the, 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 I don't know, the the purpose, the objective of life. Um, Because if there is no bridge between the ego and the soul, one, I think we miss the point of the soul's evolution, of the Mm -hmm. soul's growth, of the soul's wisdom, of we miss out on the soul's guidance. And when our human misses out on that innate wisdom and guidance that exists within all of us, then we're just, you know, we're constantly seeking external and external validation. We're constantly seeking, you know, to be chosen, to be loved. Mm -hmm. So we begin to perform. We begin to get so far away, not just from our soul, but then even our own ego. 
Mm-hmm. There's we add layers upon layers upon layers of things that we are not that at some point, at some point during those very timely astrological transits, things crash and burn in order for you to ask yourself, who am I? Mm. Who am I? And I think that, again, at our core, at our essence, we are soul, we are spirit, we, we, we are an extension of the divine universal intelligence. But there comes that responsibility to create, to, when we ask, who am I? To create a personality, an ego that goes hand in hand with with that essence, with that soul essence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I imagine maybe somebody is wondering, okay, so how do I feel my soul essence? Right. You know, what, how do I get to know my soul? What would you tell them? Well, my very Capricorn mind goes to practice. I, I think I see practice a lot on here because mm-hmm. at least for me, right, for me, it has come through practice, through curiosity, through seeking, through seeking therapists, coaches, teachers, books, uh, astrology has helped me really, you know, gain a different outlook on life. But more importantly, once, once that's, once I did enough of that, I think that my practice became going inward and being in silence and mm-hmm. being okay with being still and in silence. You know, I've spoken about my my meditation practice here a lot, but and I know that that doesn't work for everyone, but can you be still? Mm-hmm. So here's the perfect example. Over the summer, I slowed down a lot in terms of my work. I mean, a lot. Because our trip to Costa Rica had an incredible impact on me. And I realized there's something that's trying to come through. There's something that I need to process. I don't know what it is. My ego, my, my, my human mind didn't know what it was. But I have enough practice knowing when my soul is trying to communicate something and something is trying to land that I had to slow down a lot. And I had to be with myself. And I couldn't really be influenced by books. And I tried. I, I tried reading the books. And I tried listening to things and watching things. And it just wasn't landing until I realized "Mm, this isn't it. I have to just be. Mm -hmm. And so for anyone who's asking, how do I get to know that is how would you get to know anyone else you want to know? You spend time with them. You get curious Mm -hmm. about who they are, what they like, how they, how you feel in their presence. Mm -hmm. And that right there I feel is creating that bridge and that relationship between your ego and your soul. But it's very, I think it's a very individual experience. Mm -hmm. It really is. And, you know, in that stillness, I feel like the ego kneels to the soul when we're still, when we're, if, if we're in a place where we understand we're cultivating that stillness it moves aside for us to like engage with the soul, if that makes sense. You know, I feel like we have to put the phones down. We have mm-hmm. to put the distractions down. We have to, 
you know, and I, I don't mean have to in the, this rigid way, but at some point we do need to put these things down so we can be in the quiet and get to know ourselves and get to know, wow, my mind races all the time. My mind is constantly talking. My mind is constantly noise, but every now and then there's something else there every now and then there's a rush of love or a curiosity or the, you know, your the intuition is the voice of the soul. So you'll notice that still voice saying like, maybe you should put the phone down. You know, maybe we should go try this. Maybe we should go try that. Um, and when we go to that practice, we walk that bridge from personality to soul. I feel like the ego does go, okay. After a while, that muscle strengthens and the ego allows it. At first, there might be a fight. There might be a fight. And I don't think it's, now as I'm saying this, I don't think it's the ego trying to pull us away from the soul. I think the ego is showing us, this is how disconnected you are from your soul, how hard it is for you to put that phone down or put the distractions yeah. down and yeah. go in silence is showing you the degree of separation, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And then once you build that muscle, there's less of a dogfight. Exactly. It's like, yes, go there, please. <laughs> Absolutely. So as you were saying that there's, there's a, there's a, an exercise, right? That, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it's called, but there, when I can sense the ego part of me that was conditioned to just work, 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 produce, 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 you cannot be still because if you are still not doing quote unquote, if you're doing quote unquote, nothing, then, then, you know, all of these awful things that are very patriarchal, capitalistic in nature that also come from, from that immigrant wound, you need to work. Otherwise you're not going to survive. Right. When that part of me is very activated for whatever reason, I give her the floor. And I and I I've gotten to the point where again it's like, okay, I put my timer, I give her three minutes, say everything you want to say. Why shouldn't I be still? And then I allow myself to say these things out loud. Well, because if I if I'm still, then it means that I'm this. If I'm still, then I'm not gonna get this done. If right, all of these things. And then once that timer's off, I've given her the floor. And I mean, she, there's that part of me just kind of calms down. Yeah. And then I invite my soul in. And what does my soul want to say? Mm. What does my soul want to do right now? Now, I understand and realize that we live again in a very real world where we need to work, where we need to pay bills, rent, mortgage, people have kids. I understand all of that. And that doesn't mean that you do nothing, but I think that you, if there isn't a genuine desire to cultivate a strong relationship for your soul, you make time for nothing. You do, you do. And I think that's... um I think the purpose of morning pages, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, you know, mm -hmm. people love morning pages, but I believe, um, you know, it's 15 minutes or three pages, whichever, but you allow that personality or ego to dump on the page. But if you notice about the second or top of the third page, something else starts happening. You know, just like what you're saying, the three minutes of you giving, you know, the personality a voice, and then it starts to quiet down and then the soul starts to rise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say? And and I don't want to 
complicate the conversation, but I think that it's also important to begin to note. I think our ego is made up of parts. Mm -hmm. And you speak so well to parts of us. Mm -hmm. um, would you mind talking about that a little bit? Because I think that, I mean, that's something that I that I personally use in my work, whether it's self-work or work with clients, but you do such a great job at describing what those are. And I think that might be helpful as well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the we are, our personality self, our ego is made up of parts of self. So if you think of the wounded child, um, that's a part of self. Uh, we also have an in, inner defender and often an inner critic. Um, we also have different, our wounded child could be different ages throughout our life, you know, wherever we've experienced trauma or there's something we haven't processed fully. So, you know, we experience parts or their triggers. Like I always like to think of if I walk into a room where I don't know anybody, my 12 year old self can get really triggered back to maybe 12, 13 year old self. I remember eighth grade high school dance, walking mm -hmm. into a group of people feeling very exposed. Um, so what happens is the brain compartmentalizes into parts of self and they've done studies with this. So if I get triggered into that 12 or 13 year old self, I start seeing the world through that lens mm -hmm. and I start acting through that lens. And if we're not aware of it, we're speaking, we're relating to people from that lens. Now, when we recognize I'm triggered, wow, I feel like 12 or 13 years old right now. Just naming that allows mm -hmm. like whether you want to call it your higher self, um, I like to call it your higher self, your more evolved self, your adult self. When you name it, you start to move back into that present day adult self. And from that present day adult self, you can say, oh, wow, I'm really triggered in this situation. How do I want to navigate this? What do I want to do? What kind of choices do I want to make? The problem is most of us are engaging in those unconscious parts of self with no awareness of it. And then from those parts, we can do a lot of damage, you know, from the inner, from the wounded inner child, we can end up engaging in relationships and situations that are really harmful. But if we're in a defender part of self, we can do a lot of harm. We can let our anger um, lash out onto people. We can become very mindless. Our inner critic can make us feel defeated, constantly picking us apart. And then it picks apart other people in our lives. So I would say our ego and our personality is made of these parts and it's so important to get to know who am I in this moment. Great. And thank you for, mm -hmm. for explaining that because I think that understanding parts is an immense component to understanding the totality of our ego, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so with that, needs to come compassion for our humanness yes needs to come compassion for those parts right because if if let's say you know present you has much more self-awareness than you know two three four five six seven eight years ago right much more self-awareness you you have more knowledge you've done work you're you understand who you are at present moment and are much more connected in present moment to you than ever before. Now, that doesn't mean that those other parts of you are never ever again going to be activated. Right. But what I tend to notice a lot, and myself included, is when those parts are activated and when those parts come up, 
that we have worked so hard to mm-hmm. not be anymore. And again, this 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 thought of eradication, um, I that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point of us becoming a much more, I don't know, grounded, present, sovereign, p- present self mm-hmm. is so that when those parts are activated, we can practice compassion instead of rigidity. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that becomes important because it is when we practice compassion for those parts that are activated, it is when those parts that are activated actually tend to transcend that pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important to name as well because I think that especially children, for instance, and I, I believe that a lot of those parts of us are our child, our, our children, right? Yeah. Our children yeah. parts. We're disciplined. We're, we're disciplined, right? We're, we're told we're bad. We're told to be this, not that. We're told uh, to, sometimes we're given more responsibility as if that's going to somehow, I don't know, make us better children, different children, instead of acknowledging what's happening and what's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many of us grew up with authoritarian parents and we've become authoritarian parents to our inner children, to our inner selves, right? We have no tolerance. And um, going back to the boundary example that I used earlier about right now, I can tell it's time to work on my boundaries in a different way. There's a part of me wants to go, fuck, can't you just figure this out? Can't you by now, you're going to be 50 next year and you still working on boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's my inner critic saying, come on. But if I want to work compassionately and mindfully, I have to look at the little girl in me who was taught to, to override her boundaries, to make so many people uncomfortable. It was very convenient to my family. If I put myself last and I was in service to them emotionally and caretaking them. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was rewarded not in the greatest of ways, but it was much better than what the consequence was. Right. Right. So there's a little girl in me who learned, I mean, little girl, you could say from zero to 26, 26 years of my life, I was taught to put myself last. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I want to change my relationship to boundaries, I first have to understand this comes from a pretty important place. And how can I love myself through this? And how can I learn to honor myself? And then in honoring myself, I'm not taking anything from anybody that I'm not responsible for anyone's feelings or life. Um, but it's when we start to love ourselves and approach it with compassion, love ourselves and approach ourselves with compassion that those parts start to heal and then they become integrated. Because mm-hmm. most of us with the parts that we're not aware of, we're, we're not integrated. So these parts are acting unconsciously in different situations. My boundary part is acting unconsciously, but now I'm making it conscious. So now as I bring that young girl inside me who's scared to set boundaries, she becomes an integrated part of myself and then boundaries become a normal part of my life. That's mm-hmm. how that happens. But it can only happen with love. Like you said, not rigidity and not discipline. Right, right. And there's something about taking that approach because I think that to your point, right? When we have 
authoritarian parents, we, we parent ourselves in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so much resistance to softness in our culture. Oh, yes. Um, that we don't validate our experience, our experiences, sometimes even some pretty horrible experiences for how horrific they actually are. Because we think that if we validate them to the extent that they deserve to be validated, that somehow makes us soft and weak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we realize how much we carry that. I, I don't think we do either. We don't value softness as much as we talk compassion in all these healing spaces. Right. I hear a lot of people saying, you know, the opposite. And I don't think we value soft and kindness. We do see it as weak. We see, right. you know, kind women or kind men as weak. Yeah. Um, and kindness is so powerful. Softness is so powerful. Compassion is so pow- powerful for ourselves, but not only for others. I think we see it as permissive, but it's not. Right. And so to that, that's also something important, right? Because it's not about being permissive. It's not about staying in the story that keeps you in victim in in in, in the victim role it's mm-hmm. about saying of course i would feel like this because this happened to me mm-hmm. of course this would be the outcome of course this is the person that i would become mm-hmm. and through softness and through compassion and through understanding i'm going to not permit myself to remain in this space and actually move and that movement I think actually becomes a lot faster, if you will, through compassion and softness rather than rigidity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I've, so now that we've talked about personality being in service to the soul, I have a question. What do you do when the highest expression of your personality makes other people uncomfortable or (laughs) is you know, what, what your highest expression of personality is meant to be in service of the soul, but what if that makes the wounded parts of you really uncomfortable? And I feel like, like stepping into your light. Right. How apropos. Um, oh my God, this is such, and just to be, you know, completely transparent with those that are, that are listening, that this is actually something that I am personally moving through. Um, And it goes back to validating just how much the jealousy, the envy, the the, the meanness of women throughout my life affected my creative expression, my very natural expression, my my expression to, to, I don't know, to want to sing, to want to dance, to want to perform, to want to just simply express. I think that right there is, I think, let me backtrack a little bit. I think one of the things I realized recently is how little, again, I, I how little, I don't know, weight or validity I gave that experience of my life. So what I mean by that is, yeah, so women were mean to me, big deal. I don't care. Women were mean to me. Big deal. I don't care. When essentially throughout my life, there's been a lot of my light that I've dimmed. Right. And so 
I can remember when I was a little girl that I was very outgoing and, and I loved, I loved kind of being the center of attention, but it was coming from a place of, I want to share joy with you mm-hmm. throughout my life that changed. And so now that I'm in this space, the reason that I love doing a podcast so much is, is that people can't see me, right? People can just hear me, but I'm not being seen. Right. And of course, yes, we have reels, we have clips, but there is, there's no one here. It's just me, my dog on the couch, and then you on the other side of the screen. There's still the sense of, 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 of I'm alone and therefore I'm safe. Hmm. But what has come up again through spiritual practice, uh, through conversations and therapy through even feedback from from good friends is almost like not that that's not enough but there's more that needs to be shown and said and so that is about coming back and walking that bridge to soul Mm -hmm. how do i tend to the parts of me that are terrified the parts of me that are activated in in pain Mm -hmm. and it's just this is where my work kind of becomes my saving grace in in that oh this is for something bigger and that's the point that's the point of the ego that's the point of why I do what I do it's to be of service and to help and so when you connect with that it's not that my 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 fear or or these triggers don't matter. Of course they matter. And this is where I get to choose. I'm going to heal this with compassion, but I also have something to tend to. There's also something to rise to. So that was a really long answer, but no, but it was a beautiful answer because I could see how people could really struggle as they're healing and evolving and expanding that they may not be able, the personality may not be able to meet the soul there and that it could be very painful and uncomfortable. But what I do believe at some point, it becomes more painful to diminish that expression, more painful to um, stay, stay put than evolve that's even more uncomfortable. And I think that helps motivate it. And I think as women, we're taught, you know, diminish yourself, hide your light. Don't be fully expressed. Don't take up space, you know? And I, and I think, so there's that extra layer. So here's my soul showing me like, this is how you're meant to express yourself and whatever it is, you know, you and I do healing work, but someone may be a teacher or a parent, you know, there are in the medical profession, there's all sorts of things. You know, so how do you not diminish yourself in whatever it is you do and stand in that light and be embodied and expressed um, and tolerate the discomfort it might cause other people? And it will, because other people's egos who aren't in check, they don't like light. They don't like other people's light. It makes them want to put it out and they can become mean and cruel, just like you experienced. Your light, unfortunately, is threatening to their light. And I feel like if we were understanding, if we were taught what we were talking about earlier, that the connection between our soul and personality, my idea is that someone else's light reminds me of my light. 
So as you grow, I'm reminded of my potential inside me and it gives me permission and courage to be more bright, Mm -hmm. be bright. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that, that makes me um, emotional because Mm -hmm. I can think of so many times in my life where I have dimmed my light, where it has, it has made me make significant life decisions that were so far away from any kind of purpose, right? And and Mm -hmm. from a genuine expression of myself because of this pain and because of this fear. And so when we think about, this is why those parts matter, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is, this, these are younger parts of me that were very much bullied and mistreated and and that received just a very mean reaction, particularly from other women for simply being me. And so Mm -hmm. I just kind of shoved that to the side. And again, now that I'm here, it's about realizing and accepting what you just said. How I'm meant to express has nothing to do with anyone, not even fully with me, to be quite honest with you. Yes. It has to right. do with if I know astrology, if I understand spirituality to the degree that I understand it and experience it in my own life and therefore share it, then that's a much greater purpose. Yeah. Right. And again, thank goodness for astrology that helps me to understand, oh, this is how I'm meant to express. And this is why it makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. We've talked a lot, obviously, about the ego today, the connection to the soul. And one thing that we have found to be helpful is to kind of encapsulate in very practical ways, because of course, this podcast is all about grounding spirituality, uh, that you can begin to practice at home how do I even you know begin to create that bridge between the ego and the soul when do I know which part of my ego is being activated and when I come back to soul so earlier uh you know we talked about that parts part and and I think that an exercise again that is very practical especially when you're reactive when you're activated when you're upset when when there is a disconnection uh, in which you are not experiencing peace or joy or happiness, asking yourself, which part of me is being act- is is activated right now? What what part of me is activated right now? Mm-hmm. And allowing that part of you to express what it needs to express. If you need to journal, if you need to time it, say it out loud, and then once it's had its its time, once you've given it that time reminded that it's safe to express itself fully in your presence how can you then come back to just stillness for a second so that you can also give time and connection to your soul Mm -hmm. and I wanted to add you know you talked so much about spiritual practice and coming back to that stillness finding a way to get to know yourself, like what your spiritual practice would look like that comes to help you differentiate between the voice of the ego and the voice of the soul. As we, we spoke about mindfulness is a beautiful way of doing this, learning to track what am I thinking and feeling at every moment. And I feel like mindfulness is an every moment possible spiritual practice, you know, other than the ways that we were talking about earlier. And when you're mindful, you can notice 
those triggers. And it will mindfulness will also help you do the parts of me exercise. It mindfulness is like the gateway to all of this. It will right. help you know when you're in the voice of your ego or the voice of your soul. So, you know, just practicing throughout the day, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's happening in my body um, is really helpful. And if you just happen to be in a space where you're like, fuck these exercises, I just want to be pissed. I'm not there, which happens and yes. it's absolutely valid. Can you at least just try, just try to take 10 deep breaths, hmm. 10 deep breaths and drop your awareness to your heart space and just be there for a few seconds even, hmm. right? You're not invalidating your very human experience, You, but at this point, you you don't care what part it is. You can't get yourself to identifying what part it is. Can you at least just pause, take 10 deep breaths, drop the awareness to the heart space and just be there and see where that takes you. I find that to be when I just can't, <laughs> <laughs> that I know I, I can go to and, and it's just like, okay, I, I can think clearer now at least. And then I can come back to, you know, figuring out what part of me that was. <laughs> so this is, this is such a, I love talking about this stuff. I think it's so important. Um, I love being aware of, of the ego and, and the soul and its purpose and how cyclical it all is. So thank you for joining us in this conversation. Um, and keep an eye out for our next soul circle event, which is in October. I believe it's October 22nd, where we will be, Millie will, be, I believe Millie will be a part of it. Um, yeah. We'll be offering um, readings to people who want to be participate, participants, intuitive and mediumistic readings. And I also just want to say to anybody that likes the podcast, please feel free to rate and review. Also, we love feedback. So please don't hesitate to message us about any topics you're interested in or just any feedback you want to give. Um, we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. Um, other than that, end of the year readings are, or the looking ahead readings that I do every year, I'm going to start doing them the second half of October through November, part of December, and perhaps January. I'm not sure yet, but these are readings that I do every single year. I sit down with you uh, on Zoom. I do a 75-minute reading. I give you an extensive month-to-month -month reading according to your natal chart. What are the energies that you can expect, how you can potentially uh, receive them? So be on the lookout for that. Okay. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you all. Bye. Thank you all for joining us once again on another episode. It is always our pleasure to have these conversations. If you like the show, please rate and review. It is always a great help for us. And if you'd like to know what we're up to, check out our show notes or check us out on Instagram at Blue Butterfly Effect Podcast at AshleyTorrent29 or at Astro underscore Consciousness. 